Well, hello and welcome back. We are here at Hillbrook School. My name is Bill Selleck. I'm Director of Technology, and I am so excited about the three humans joining us on this podcast today. We have... Jamie Piazza. Derek Silverman. And Vanessa Holmes Silverman. And we are talking about performing arts, not just arts, performing arts. Jamie, let's jump right into it. We're going to talk about, first of all, what each of you do. You're going to pick kind of one part of performing arts, and we're going to talk big picture how this fits into curriculum, learning, education, all that kind of stuff. But Jamie, kick us right off. So teaching lower school has been quite a journey over my career, um, experimenting with different methods and um, trying different um, areas of curriculum. This last summer, I completed the level two of the ORF Shulwark approach and um, really fell in love with it over the last couple of years. And I've been incorporating that more heavily in my classroom. It's a very child-centered approach that allows children to be playful, use their imagination, and still use singing and dancing, a little bit of acting and speech along with um, percussion playing. And I think that this specific approach really allows children to explore being a musician um, and being celebrated to make mistakes and to just see what happens and see where it goes. Um, as we incorporate improvisation, it really makes them you know, feel confident and like, wow, I can really create something that I, I didn't really realize that I could. And so I've really been enjoying um, exploring that with the children in the classroom and have been impressed with how well they're picking up uh, playing xylophone, uh, xylophones and bass bars and um, incorporating ostinatos and melodies and singing at the same time. So, well, And one of the things I love about the ORF approach is the ostinato. For those playing at home that aren't professional musicians, that's where you repeat. You yes. pick like the, the, the same like 10 seconds or eight measures and you, you tend to do that again and again and again. And so you're not spending weeks or even hours learning Absolutely. this really complicated constantly changing piece of music. It's this one thing that you yeah. can basically memorize pretty quickly, and, right? And, yeah, and that's actually a huge idea of ORF is like you're able to learn it quickly and you're able to have fun with it quickly. You know, there's so many, you know, when you think, like when I think back to university of, you know, being a performance major, it wasn't like that. It wasn't easy. It required a lot of work. And while there is definitely merit in that, I think introducing music to children in a way where they can be successful you know, in a 20 minute lesson even, and, and we're playing something and they get to walk out of the room feeling like, wow, I really created something. Well, and for those listening to it, it doesn't sound like a 20 minute, like, oh, they're six year olds and this isn't music. It sounds like a legit piece of music. Yeah, it sounds absolutely. really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. Derek, walk us through, we're doing instrumental, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> going into the middle school level with instrumental, the goal often is to try to build on what has already been established in the younger grades. So trying to implement a lot of those core concepts that have been applied of rhythm and time and starting to get into reading, really balancing the rote versus note uh, aspect of music. Nobody can get away with just one side of it. We all have to have some reading, but we have to understand what the reading sounds like. And so starting to incorporate that at the middle school level uh, still relying on core musicianship skills. Um, those things that we learn, whether it's singing or playing at the young age, still apply through professional levels. And so trying to incorporate that in the middle school level, we have a very varied 
um, program. <laughs> Our rock band right now has about 20 students in it. Whoa, so we have your rock band has 20 students. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, it means doubling a lot of things that are not usually doubled. It means asking for flexibility on the student side. So we have kids who are singing and playing ukulele. We have lots of guitars. We have multiple basses, multiple drums, kids switching back and forth. In the end, it's always talking about listening. What are you hearing and what are you communicating with everybody else? Um, and that's fundamentally what it all comes down to. It's how we communicate with other people. It's a language that we're all trying to develop and share. And it's a language that works in between genres. Well, in the last episode, Claire and I talked about kind of the classic four C's, one of which is communication. She's blown it up. Four is not enough. She's like at 13. We're, we're looking at 20 C's. But communication, I think, is one that educators often come back to and one that parents can often name of like, what is, what is the soft skill? What's the skill that as we think of preparing our students for a world we truly cannot imagine? Communication is such mm -hmm. a key part. And what you just described around like deeply listening and communicating when you're in a rock band performing on a stage, if you're not like deeply communicating with someone, it, it everybody knows you, you can't not yeah. communicate. In music, we we don't just teach oral communication. We actually teach more visual communication than most areas, <laughs> because when you're in the middle of performing, you can't just stop and go, "Hey, everybody, you messed up." <laughs> you have to actually like look at the person and make eye contact and try to signal like we're not right there right now um, yeah, yeah. and so there's a lot of different kinds of communication there's actually a whole set of sign language that musicians have for where's the top of the song where's the chorus are we doing this again is it ending are we going to a new key people don't even think about it it almost should be a class in college for musicians that the musical hand signs besides yeah. the Kerwin hand signs for solfege that we should all be learning <laughs> well we'll talk about solfege another time it's also incredibly interesting that like so much of, of the nonverbal communication is such a critical part of performance. And if you're not doing that, if you're staring at your music, mm -hmm. you're missing all the things happening and, around you. And that was totally the conversation our last rock band rehearsal was you can't just start your job and zone out. Just like you can't start driving your car down the freeway and zone out. Well, I mean, you, you can't. You can, yes. <laughs> Yeah, you totally could, but yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that thing of, like, we have to listen and pay attention to what we're all doing together, and that if we don't pay attention, it's a train wreck, and everything falls apart. Yeah, I love that. I have a very quick story that's hilarious. I played in the bass in the church band for about 10 years. Drums, bass, guitar, piano, singers, all the things. I was playing bass, and then I think by the time we had our second kid, it was like, I need to just, like sit with the family. It can't be me playing bass while my wife's holding like a newborn and another kid. And so we were in the front row and, and I did that. I took advantage of the nonverbal communication with Robert, our singer. I would just like, I'd be doing stuff or like he'd do a thing that repeats and I'd be like, what'd you say? And, and he has to say it again. But I, I very much took advantage of the nonverbal communication and, and like was totally razzing the band that I'd played with for 10 years because we had it all just dialed in. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't have to actually shout at them. Exactly. To, to get them to like chuckle or like start to like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, anyway, it was, it was fantastic. So talking about singing, Vanessa, yes. lead us away. So we have worked really hard this year, both Jamie and I and Derek, to create a super choral program here at Hillbrook. Right now we have four choirs. Four. 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 Yes. And just to put that into perspective, two, three years ago, there was no choir. Yeah. 
Um, I remember the first year that we offered choir for seventh and eighth grade, we, we had what we now call the choir OGs. There were four kids that signed up. And I, I remember thinking, like, as a choral educator, okay, that's not a choir. <laughs> Be, by the end of the year that year, we had, I think, 14 or 15 kids that had signed on and seen what we were doing and been like, I need to be a part of that. That's incredible. Um, this year, we have a second through fourth grade choir that Jamie leads that has 25 singers in it. So you see, starting from the bottom, the kids are being really engaged with singing. And then uh, in middle school, we have a fifth and sixth grade choir that Derek and I co-lead that has 15 singers in it. And we have a seventh and eighth grade show choir, which is kind of our premier sort of top group mm. in the school that has um, 25 kids in it that we do a pretty substantial amount of arranging and singing and dancing with that group and traveling around and performing. And then this year, our new high school, the ninth graders came to me and said, we, we can't do school without choir. Say that sentence one more time. We That's can't our pull do quote. school without choir. That is that is it. And so um, we put together a choir, and they're just they they make made the commitment to meet at eight a.m. on a Wednesday morning. I mean ninth grade, eight a.m. on a Wednesday morning. It shows you how singing has now become an incredibly important part of our culture here at Hillbrook. And that's a big thing for a couple reasons, because singers typically don't like to sing early in the mornings, right? Voices that's don't. Right. Yeah. Jamie's like, nope, no. <laughs> and then also our high school doesn't start at 8 a.m., so it's actually coming before school. They they actually they actually take a shuttle from the Marchmont campus at 7.30 in the morning to get to choir practice. It, it's pretty impressive. The sacrifices that the ensembles just in general make in order to be able to do extracurricular things here is it, it's it's really I'm very proud of the the engagement that all of the singers have and 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 the rock band as well I would say all the programs because our five six choir they give up a, a regular lunch period to be there and sing um, they two through four they're after school so every at every level they're making a choice to either be in that ensemble or do something else. And it's really amazing to see how often they make that choice to be here, um, getting fifth and sixth graders to remember to be somewhere at lunchtime on a Monday. <laughs> on a Monday, too. Yeah. And, and, they, and they take yeah. full... That That's the thing. There's so many reasons, Bill, why I think vocal education is important, like choral education. It, it What I tell the kids all the time is that do I think I'm raising you in as musicians to be a professional musician? I mean, part of my musician heart hopes so, but another part of my musician heart hopes never. <laughs> <laughs> and But I, I don't necessarily think, I, I mean, in 25 years of teaching, I've probably had maybe 3% of all of the students I've ever taught have actually grown up to be adult musicians. What but you mean professional professionals? Musicians? Yeah. Yeah. Professionals. But do I do I think that we're raising a generation of CEOs that know how to stand in front of a group of people and comfortably present? Yes. Do oh, I yes. think yes. Or even just appreciation. You just well, showed me a I video would, of a student from how long ago? Yeah, I was just gonna say that actually. Um, the idea that 
we might not even be raising people who can stand in front of a group, but we are raising people who then want to go see a show, want to go support a local choral organization by, by maybe joining, by maybe donating, by being philanthropic because they had this engagement as a young person. I mean, I remember my experiences when I was in, like, fifth, sixth, seventh, mm -hmm. eighth grade. I remember those experiences even now. And they have definitely shaped both how I educate and how I appreciate. So. Well, and the, I think an important thing to note, and I want to keep going down this path that you just kind of started, and we backtrack just a moment, all of these different choirs, all these extra commitments are in addition to music time that's part of the school day. So yes. when I was teaching fourth and fifth grade music, choir was only during lunch. It w you couldn't actually be a part of choir unless you missed an entire lunch for it. And other than that, they just had kind of a generic music appreciation once a week. And this is not that. This is they're, they're getting music throughout the week and doing all these extra things with the lower school music, with the rock band, with the various choirs, which is just incredible. Yeah, and, and what it does is it does give them that foundation, and then it gives them the teamwork aspect of it, which is huge for me. I, I, I will forever and always see ensemble education exactly like I see sports education. Tell us more. It, it's for me as being both a musician and a sports person i i see that teamwork is the only way to make either of those subjects work and when we treat an ensemble like we treat a sports team that we all come together we do this together we can't have one person missing i know tim downs the athletic director and i have had this conversation where both of us dabble in each other's fields and so when you think about it in terms of, you know, he said, I just can't have a volleyball player missing from a, from a match. Oh, interesting. And I said, and I can't have an actor missing from a, from a performance. A performance. <laughs> right, right, right. And so we, we were able to even work together, which is like, you know, the infamous, ooh, sports and, and, and you know, athletics and the arts. Oil and water. Oil and water. But not really. They're actually yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah. They're the same. Well, that's, that's so interesting. I had such a different experience growing up playing soccer. I was not great and so it's just like kick the ball to the good kid and the good kid would run so i never actually felt a part of that team and then also in high school with swimming everybody did their individual and it was actually total points so if you weren't there your team would get less points but you could actually like it was a complete not, independent not work so i wonder if that's part of why i gravitated after swimming in high school into music because you had to show up that you had be. to be present you had to develop all of that communication i also wonder though um, the quality of the teacher who's creating the situation. Um, Vanessa goes out of her way to create community in all of her ensembles. She does activities that are specifically geared towards just making the students comfortable with each other. Whereas <clears throat> not every AYSO coach is trying to get the kids to actually function as a team. And that might just be because it was a parent volunteer, not a professional sure. music well, teacher. Well, and in the defensive sports, not every, not every choral musician is getting their ensemble to be a team. Well, and that's, right, that's right, my right. point, is the quality of the coach, the teacher, they are the ones who have to guide that principle, that if there's not that 
vision from the top that we are a community and we are working together as teams. It doesn't matter if it's a soccer team or a band or a choir or whatever, that it has to be about community. Well, and so much of what I'm hearing right now if, if we just replace a couple of these nouns, it sounds like lower school with responsive classroom. It sounds like middle school with developmental designs, morning meeting or advisory. Like this is just how we talk about community. This is how we talk about education, right? Yeah. And um, I'm really that word community was on my mind before you said that, Derek. But, you know, I you know, I were, we've only finished three rehearsals of lower school choir so far, but there's second, third and fourth graders. And, you know, if you know anything about our campus, you know, first and second grade are on one side of the campus and third and fourth are on the other side. So, you know, a fourth grader really may not know a second grader at all. Sure. And um, I think the kids are slowly starting to just get used to the fact of like, oh, like we are all doing this thing thing together and and maybe this is is a way for them to have an opportunity to um to make friends with and understand that you can collaborate with someone that isn't in your grade or the one above or below and i think that that's something that's really important because in life like age and and status don't really have anything to do with how you collaborate with each other we are all human and um making creating that community and and being able to like show children that it doesn't matter what grade you're in or um, where you come from, that we are all able to make music together as a community. And I also wonder, kind of seg- maybe a segue here, yeah. in terms of like that, that mentality, because we had the same mentality with 7th and 8th grade choir, where there was a brief discussion that we would separate the grades in, in electives. And I said, no, 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 choir really needs to be together, 7 and 8. And, and the kids ha- are like, you see it, they come together and they become like best friends with someone not in their grade. And there's learning that happens when you are friends with someone who isn't learning the same classwork that you're learning. And there's other types of learning that occur. And then it makes me wonder what's the ripple effect of this sort of thing. like. If we have, you know, 70, 80 kids in the school that are involved in 100 kids, when you include rock band, that are involved in ensembles, then when you add to it something we didn't, we're not even touching on today, which is 65 kids that signed up for the spring musical. When you start to have all these teams that are cross-grade, what's the ripple effect to the rest of the school, the rest of the curriculum that happens? I'm curious what, what everyone feels about that ripple effect and how, how it transcends just the the ensemble itself. I would hope we have a beneficial effect. I know I talk about respect a lot in rehearsal, about respecting the people around you and that doing your part is not just focusing on yourself, but being aware of the people around you. And that's a really tough subject, especially in the middle school. Everything is so self-focused. And so this building this concept that we need to be respectful of the thing, the, the tools that we're afforded and of the people around us is such an important aspect of it. We can't make any improvement if we don't have respect. Yeah, well, and that's right in line with what Heather, our lower school head, talks about again and again in these lower school assemblies is, you know, how we're, how we're a good audience member, you know, so it's middle school starts to be kind of that inward facing me developmentally. And then lower school is just like, how do I sit for 15 minutes? What does active listening look like? And she really goes explicitly of what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. Yeah, and also I love that because it, it also 
leads to that aspect of like, it's not just about the performer. In fact, in many ways, what I try to try to like impress upon the singers is that it isn't really actually in a performance about us at all. It is actually about what we want the audience to take away. So when we are also simultaneously teaching students how to be audience members, we're creating this like amazing dynamic of two energies bouncing off of each other. The idea that applause means thank you and bow means you're welcome mm -hmm. is such an exchange. It's such an important lesson yeah. that so many people miss. Well, that's so much of why I hear people talk about live theater is that, sure, you can listen to a cast recording or like, you know, watch Hamilton on Disney Plus, but being in the room where it happens is different because it, it's different every night. And it's, I like that little, uh, it's an experience that, that you create together, that you co-create, you know, and I, I see that through in our all school Friday assembly at flag through the lower school assemblies it happens again and again and again and I think that's one thing that I hear named from a lot of parents as they're having eighth graders being promoted into ninth is telling jokes at flag knowing how to stand you talked about this with the CEO there's junior kindergartners telling a joke there's eighth graders telling a joke they know how to use a microphone which is a, skill. a crucial skill that so many humans do not know. They know how to, I guess, perform, you know, how to play to an audience, knowing what jokes work and don't, but just being able to have a microphone and I think holding space as a school to tell jokes every Friday morning, I think says so, so much. And I, I see so many of the things we've talked about in this podcast episode connecting back to that, that kind of bigger theme. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just literacy as a modern human. Like, we have to be able to interact with microphones because we all have to do remote learning, remote meetings. There's no way to be a functional person in the work world where we don't have to interact with cameras and microphones now. That's just part of our society. And if we don't teach people how to use them in an appropriate way in their youth, it's just like all other manners and etiquette in society. It will not turn out well if we don't teach kids how to use it appropriately. Yeah, no, absolutely. Jamie's heading off. She has a class walking by right now. It's from the outdoor stage. Thank you, Jamie, as she waves goodbye to us. <laughs> Bye, Jamie. Bye. I, j I just love that we can all sit around here, Bill. I, I you know, this is a little off the subject, but thank you for, for making this possible. It, it's helpful to us as educators to be able to talk about our craft together. I, I love the, the fact that this podcast is covering all of the arts and design subjects and and giving equal equal time and equal understanding to what we're all trying to do because it is bigger than our subject and I think every single one of us feels that it's bigger than our subject if we look at the imprint that it leaves on the school it feels really powerful what we're what we are empowering the kids to achieve we have a lot of pride when a, uh, when a teacher comes in and says, oh man, those choir kids, they just, they're so on top of every, and I know I've heard comments like that where they go, yeah, the choir kids actually pay attention when I ask them to be quiet. I'm like, ah, we've taught them something. And, and these are skills that don't, you know, they don't apply to just choir. We need to know how to sit quietly, whether we're sitting in the DMV or jury duty. Um, that's things that everybody just has to be able to do. Well, yeah, and, and what's coming to mind right now is actually the ninth grade immersive showcase on that third week of school, where we rented out Create TV in downtown San Jose. Students were presenting, some in smaller rooms, some in really big space. 
and hearing again that feedback from community members coming in to see from parents, from board members. And it was just like, wow, like these students know how to be in front of a crowd, how to present. And, and we talked about that, you know, again and again here. And it just, it keeps showing up and it keeps being one of those touchstones, I think, when people talk about, you know, what does a Hillbrook student look like? As we talk about big, big picture curriculum, the strategic planning, often the, the idea of the portrait of a Hillbrook graduate, what does that look like? And I think we, we went into some of the details of, of what that actually looks like and how that shows up in these ways that we tend to point to, you know, with a kid one year later, five years later, 10 years later as a, as a student. And it's always the shocking ones too, right? The <laughs> ones who were so quiet in class then get up in front of an audience and suddenly come alive and the teachers go, wow, I had no idea that they had those skills. And that's the beauty of it. When we offer such a vast array of opportunities, we get to see a lot of different skills surface in students that you wouldn't you wouldn't see if you didn't have the vast array. Well, and the vast array of skills, I, they're the thing where um, I think we were just having a conversation about this, that when you're an employer looking to hire somebody, you don't necessarily want somebody who only has one skill. Even if they're really good at that one skill, if you can't communicate but you're an amazing computer programmer, it's very difficult to be a part of a team. And we all know that programming happens in teams. All of these situations are going to need these different skills that are kind of the glue that holds all the different subjects together of being a good team member, being a communicator, being a leader when you need to be, and being a follower when you need to be. Those are not always skills that we all possess. Being able to keep a calendar that is your own calendar, not just one dictated by the rest of the world. Um, all these things come into play, and I am just always, like I said, so happy when members of our ensemble are reported to us from another teacher peer saying, oh, those kids, they, they even though they had to miss class for their rehearsal, they all caught up on all their work. I'm like, that's what we want. Functional people who are contributing members of society in strong ways. Well, yeah, and even if you have a discipline to be able to have those other skills. So if you do important science research, that's great and that's important, but you need to have impact. And so being able to communicate it in a way that non-scientists mm -hmm. can understand and can really internalize and then do something with is so, so, so important. I remember once in a sixth grade class, I had a student that wasn't quite on board with performing arts and he kept sort of like fighting being a part of what we were doing. And then one day I said to the class, you know, if you want to be a, a, a philanthropist and a, a wealthy person that gives money to good causes, you have to be able to stand up in front and sell what it is that you want your money to do. And, and this is where you learn how to do that. And all of a sudden, the kids were like, you mean if I want to be a lawyer? You mean if I want to be a CEO? You mean if I want to be a doctor? And I was like, yes, we're well rounding here. I love all of that so much. And we have so many examples that we have shouted out. So if you listen to this and want to know more, check out some of these examples. I think our YouTube channel might actually be the best place to go to see our weekly Friday morning assemblies called Flag because there's a flag. Um, you know, look at eighth grade promotion and hear those students speak, various performances that we've been able to upload to the YouTube channel. Also, you know, all the social media. I heard the kids call them SoMeads. The social, yeah, it has is a that, new name now. I'm, I, 
I'm gonna never say that word again. Let's just. I'm kidding. Like no. Derek's like. No, we're we're at that age not. now where we don't need to. Yeah. We don't need to use the lingua. But on the Instagram, you know, check that out. You'll you'll be able to see all of this stuff show up. So Vanessa, Derek, thank you so much for thank joining you, us. Bill. I'm waving thank at you, Jamie's Jamie. classroom from afar, who had to go run and take her class. And thank you all for listening.